You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and with this episode I am continuing my short break from my regular series coverage to bring you a special interview with Wayne Van Zant. Mr. Van Zant was the penciler on The Nom for more issues than any other artist, and he and I talked for a good hour about his career as a whole, his time on the book, and his most current work, which is Katusha, Girl Soldier of the Patriotic War, a series of graphic novels that's about the Soviet front in World War II. Incidentally, that's also the name of, the, of a Ukrainian folk song, which I played as the show opened. So uh, I'm not going to do too much preamble here. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back, you'll hear my interview with Wayne Van Sant. <laughs> You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. My guest this episode was the regular penciler on The Nom for more than 50 issues. First with guest pencils on issue number 7, and then becoming the regular penciler with issue number 14. Beyond his work on the NOM, he has both written and illustrated uh, historical-based comics and graphic novels, including an adaptation of Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage, uh, a graphic novel, Days of Darkness, which chronicled the early days of World War II and Pacific, The Vietnam War, a graphic history, and most recently has released Katusha, Girl Soldier of the Patriotic War. Please uh, welcome to the show Mr. Wayne Van Sant. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing just fine. Great. Um, I, I just wanted to start off. Usually, when when I've guest on on any of the podcasts, or I've been a guest on a podcast, we usually ask about kind of your origin, your background, and um, I, I in my research and preparing for the interview, I I uh, read a bio on I think it was the Comic Book Database or something. So I don't know how accurate it was, but I, I understand that you were a you're a Vietnam veteran yourself. Well, no, I was I was in the Navy during the time of the Vietnam War, but I got no. Closer than Honolulu. Okay. So I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I luckily missed the war. Uh, I have a lot of friends that were in it, and I knew a lot of guys in the Navy that had just come back. Uh-huh. But uh, but no, I managed to avoid it, which I'm glad to say. Okay. Uh, what what uh, what specifically were you uh, were you in the Navy for? If well, you don't mind me asking. Uh, I tell you, I joined a naval reserve. Uh, it, it was in it was in '68. I didn't particularly want to go to college then. Mm-hmm. I, I, went, I went to a junior college for a while. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't want to go. But then again, I didn't want to get drafted either. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I joined the Naval Reserve Program. I spent two years active duty on a ship out of uh, Little Creek, Virginia. And um, I I spent about three years in the reserves, and that was about it. But uh, I'm glad I did military service. I think uh, it was important that I got a little bit of idea of what military life was like. Um, I think some people that have... uh, written about it, which I won't you know, <laughs> anybody in particular, it, but it, uh, it it helps, I think, to have a little bit of ground in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get the idea of how, basically how boring it is. Um, you, you have a lot of people you have there to do something when you need them, and a lot of times they don't have anything to do. Uh, it's it's kind of, it's very boring. Mm. Uh, guys get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's just, but uh, as I say, I had a, I had a good time. I did. Cool. I, I was on an LST. It was a brand new LST, not like the ones in World War II. It had a big uh-huh. ramp that came out over the front of the deck and lowered down to the beach. Uh-huh. It was a brand new ship, and we basically uh, went up and down the East Coast in training and uh, went a couple of trips to the Caribbean. So oh, it, wow. it was good. I had a good time. That's really cool. That's really cool. So what was your inspiration to... Um to go from from your time in the navy to become an artist, and then specifically you know, all my life, I have uh, I have drawn, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I, I think I basically my uh, drive was to be a storyteller. Uh-huh. I, um, when I was five years old, I saw the movie Twin Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, the Walt Disney version, uh-huh. and it, it just exploded my imagination. And uh, I would draw pictures of <clears throat> giant squids and stuff like that. And, yeah. And uh, I'm 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 64, so I've been you know I've, there there wasn't that much on, on TV back then. You had the old episodes of Flash Gordon and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I never got into superheroes, uh-huh. and pretty early uh, um, I had a pretty keen interest in World War II. My parents were from that generation, mm-hmm. so consequently, all my friends' parents were from that generation, and uh, I grew up hearing stories. And that's one thing I think. That probably did more than anything, but I, I would, I would, I, I got into comics a little bit uh, when I was a kid. I, I was reading. Uh, I remember uh, I liked the classics illustrated. I liked Torok. You remember that? I do. Little Stone, the, the Indians and the dinosaurs and all that. I mm-hmm. love that. I never could get into superheroes. It just didn't. It just didn't do anything for me. I read a few. I remember, I remember having a few uh, old Batman, Bob Kane stuff mm-hmm. like that, but. Uh, it, it just never interests me, and as I got older, I, I did more, and uh, I got better, naturally, and I was determined to get um, some sort of art education. I got I, When I got out of the Navy, I went to Atlanta College of Art on the GI Bill, uh-huh. got a degree there, and then couldn't find anything, um, which was pretty common in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a lot of different things. I was in sales for many years. Uh, I was, uh, at the time... Well, I, I was the, the security director of the High Museum in Atlanta in the mid-'80s. And uh, one day I went into a convenience store, and I saw an issue of uh, Marvel's uh, Savage Tales, the black-and-white mm-hmm. magazine size comic. And uh, it had a lot of adventure stories and war stories and westerns and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, I could do this. So I did some uh, sent some art and some story ideas in, and uh, then just forgot it. And about a month or so later, I got an uh, uh, an envelope, but just a, a letter. And it was just a Marvel um, 
you know, letterhead, and it was from Larry Hamlin. He said, mm-hmm. I can use you if you have a daytime phone. So I started, um, I, I, I illustrated and, and wrote a couple of, uh, a lot of the stuff I've done, I've written myself. Of course, the nom is not one of them. Yeah. But the very first time I talked to Larry, he explained that um, I can do stories for, for Savage Tales, which I did several. And he told me the first time I talked to him that they had a new comic coming out called The Nom. And he, um, he said they had a good artist, but he's a little bit slow and he's always getting behind. That was uh, Michael Golden. Yeah. And at that point in time, I knew very little about comics. I had always been interested. I'd been to some of the comic conventions in New York back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought because of all the superheroes, it's just something I wasn't interested in doing. But I got into that, and within a year, I was on the, the, the non full time. Yeah. And, and that's where it began. And from there, um, well, gosh, I, I worked on it for about five years and uh, started doing some of the independent stuff. Then you had to kind of the, the bottom fell out of the market. Yeah. And uh, I, but I managed to keep my hand in it one way or the other. And within the last few years, um, well, everything's just opened up. I've got a, the publisher I work for now, Zenith, uh-huh. that I primarily work for, has uh, been real happy with what I'm doing. I'm happy the way they're doing things. I'm basically doing the same thing I've always done, but I get book reviews, <laughs> <laughs> which we've got. They have a, a lady there named Nicole who's the head of promotions, and she's remarkable. She. Uh, when I have a new book comes out, she sends the stuff out, and uh, we get responses, we get reviews, and uh, so far they've been real good. And um, and the Katusha book is something I started on a long time ago. Well, I'm, mm-hmm. I may be getting a little bit too far. You might, if you, if you, no, it's okay. You just keep going. I can uh, okay. always come back. So. <laughs> but, but as I say, um, I, I, I learned, I found... I learned so much immediately when I started doing it full-time. Um, Larry Hamlet was a great editor. He, he wasn't there. He, he left not long after I took it over full-time. And uh, Don Daly was after him. He was real good. And um, they even, what I would I would do you know, my pencils, and I'd send them in to them, and uh, they'd get, like, John Romita on the phone with me. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was really funny because one afternoon we're sitting there and, and we're on the phone and we're going over these pages. I have my Xeroxes and all that of it. And he also got real quiet. He says, "He said I can't believe you're taking all this criticism." And I said, "Well, hey, I want to get better." <laughs> and I'm and I still work at getting better. I mean, uh, um, you learn something new all the time. Yeah. And and so that that was really important. And of course. I, I penciled for a long time, and uh, in fact, that first issue I did, number seven, I inked myself too. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, uh, um, Jeff Isherwood, who lives in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, inked me for a long time, and different artists did. And I, I got way way ahead. I, I worked real hard at this, and I got like eight months ahead. And uh, I, I was always trying to come up with something new, something different. And I would pitch things to Marvel and all that, but you know, the Marvel was the, the novel was kind of an odd thing for them. It was uh, their fifth wheel. I mean, uh, and um, it, it just nothing. You know, they okay, that sounds fine, but you know, we'll pass on it. But uh, uh, someone suggested, why don't you go to one of the you know smaller black and white publishers? And um, I went uh, to uh, Gary Reed, who is um, 
Um, what was the name? Caliber. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I did a thing called Battle Group Piper. And it was mm-hmm. a, a one-shot nonfiction story about Jakub Piper, who was a German tank commander in the Battle of the Bulge. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, um, I inked it myself. I used do a shade paper. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Not really. I don't think they make it anymore, but it's like the paper has a li- an invisible line in it for like cross hatching. And you use a, a chemical, like in a pen or a brush, that brings it out. It was first developed, I understand, by um, Buzz Sawyer, artist uh, Roy Crane, years and years back during World War II, I believe. Uh-huh. But uh, I used that, and um, that did it. I mean, I got a I got a call from my uh, my agent my uh, I'm sorry my uh, editor Don Daly, and he said, "Listen, he says um, from now on you're going to ink the book too." He says you're going to be using do a shade paper. We'll get it for you. It's expensive mm-hmm. stuff, and he says and he says you're going to be getting about a hundred and fifty percent pay raise. So by doing that was a big thing for me from Marvel because they saw it and they liked it and. Uh, um, and, and then I started doing some other things. I did Days of Darkness and, and, and Days of Wrath and mm-hmm. Patron and uh, a few other things, Independence. Still, while I was doing uh, while I was doing the uh, the Nam, and um, then the bottom just fell out. I mean, you know, the, uh, the uh, Apple who was doing Days of Darkness went went bust. Um, the Nam was canceled. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was out of work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, I, I, I know I went back. I, I, I lived near Six Flags over Georgia, and I used to, and when I was in college, I worked as a security guard out there. So I went out there and got me a job as a security guard, just you know, kind of temporarily, you know. Yeah. And then I went to work. Went to work for a guy who um, was starting a company. He was doing safety material for industry. His name is uh, Ethan Crash. He lives in Richmond now, but he had his office here in Atlanta when I. Uh, I first met him. We're still real good friends, but he um, he, he was doing like train uh, safety material training with well, like a comic books, a comic book form. He had been uh, he had been a, had a construction company and done very well, made a couple of million, but then lost it because of OSHA fines and uh, uh, insurance problems that were really beyond his control. Mm-hmm. So he decided to start a company like that. But he said, "I need you here." 40 hours a week because I'm not sure when I'll need you and when I won't, but why don't we do something else on the side? So we started doing a series of Civil War comic books called uh, The Heritage Collection. Oh, really? And we did those for, uh, let's see, we did um, about six 32-page books, two 96-page books. Did a book on ballet because his wife was a, had been a former big uh, New York dancer. Mm-hmm. And um, which was the hardest thing I've probably ever done. I'd say, "Hey, how does this look?" She's, "Oh, it's a beautiful drawing, but that foot's wrong." Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was it was rough, I tell you. But it, you know, it came out pretty good. I don't want to do it again, though. <laughs> but um, and gradually, uh, then we had economic problems again, and uh, he wasn't getting the business on that. So uh, I became part time, and mm-hmm. I started reaching out again. That's when I did. Uh, uh, Red Badge of Courage, mm-hmm. which in fact is the second time I've done that. Oh, really? In the early 90s, uh, first comics out of Chicago, out of Chicago mm-hmm. were doing, uh, redoing the classics, illustrated, and I was, and I did the, the um, uh, Red Badge of Courage for them in color. 
And I wasn't real happy with myself that I didn't. My knowledge on the, the Civil War stuff was not that great then. Mm-hmm. But um, I did it. I got paid for it and never got published. They went out of business. But I know a lot of guys that did work for them that didn't get paid, so what the heck. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, that was a great doing that one because it was, it's a small book, and I was able to do just about everything that was in the book in the in the graphic novel. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. uh, so I was real happy with that. And um, I started doing stuff for different people. And um, the, 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 uh, the Katusha, uh, am I going to, am I giving you too much? You need to stop this. No, no, no. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Okay, good. Well, well along that time, I had the opportunity to, to visit Eastern Europe back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first place I went was Odessa in, in, in Ukraine. And uh, I loved it over there. It was just like it was like going in a time machine. I'd been to England, I'd been to Italy, and places like that in Western Europe. But I think, of course, under communism, they just were stagnant. And they just uh, it just it just didn't advance. But it was you know very clean, but but wore out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like yeah. a beautiful old buildings, and I just fell in love with the place. And uh, the people were just wonderful. I mean, they really are. Um, for the people that have suffered, and I'm sure you see what's going on in the news now. Yeah, in fact, I have. It's very upsetting for me that I know a lot of people over there. I keep in touch with them. And um, it, it's, um, but anyway, um, I, I was over there, and um, I was in a lady's apartment. This woman had a, like a, a party, you know, had a bunch of her friends over. They love to sing. They're very musical people. They're almost like the Italians in that respect. And it's so funny. If you hear some of their um, uh, their folk songs, it almost sounds a little bit like country western. Interesting. <laughs> it really does. And and, and the, you, you've heard the old song, it's the, it's the Louisiana um, uh, uh, state song, uh, You Are My Sunshine. Uh, yes. That song is originally a Ukrainian the tune is a Ukrainian song called Up There on the Mountain. Oh, okay. And you hear it, and it, it's like, it, it just so you hear them. They have just a, a twanginess or something. I don't know what it is. But anyway, I was at this party, and these old ladies were singing. There was, I guess, about a dozen people there, including myself. Most of them were older women and a few, several young ones. There was a girl there that no, uh, spoke good English, and... Uh, they started singing this song, and I thought, what in the world is that? That's just, uh, I've heard that tune before. And she saw me, the expression on her face, and she says, you look like you recognize that. I said, what is that? She says, that's Katusha. She said, it, it's an, it was a Ukrainian um, uh, love song from the late 30s, and it became one of the most popular songs with the Red Army in World War II. Oh. And that just, that stuck in my brain, and I kept thinking, I've got to do something with that. And, and uh, I, I read um, just about, oh, well, anyway, everything I could mm-hmm. uh, on uh, the, the Russian front war, too, which I already had. I had done, uh, the first story I had published with Marvel and Savage Tales was called Tiger, Tiger. And it's about a German tiger tank during the Battle of Kursk in Russia. I think I, I have one issue of that Savage Tales. It may be, it in be it number, number seven, I believe. 
I believe it was number seven. Okay, I'll have to. I'll have to dig up. But uh, it, it's uh, it, it was really funny. It just uh, and I remember when I was doing that, I thought, well, gosh, what does this look like? What does uh, what does the the towns look like? What do the villages look like? Mm-hmm. But there was so little available about um, that part of World War II, and I've always been fascinated with every facet of World War II. Mm-hmm. The more I study about it, the more I realize how enormous it was. Um, you can study all your life, and you'll never get all of it. I mean, it, it just does. Um, and, and the and the battles and, and the campaigns on the, the Russian front were just battles that took you know millions of lives. I mean, well, give me an example. Now, the Battle of the Bulge, which I'm doing a book on now uh-huh. uh, with, with Zenith. I, I, I think this is my sixth book with them, okay. and it's about the Battle of the Bulge, and it's the biggest battle America has ever fought. Mm. And uh, about 19,000 Americans uh, died in the Battle of the Bulge. But on uh, on the Russian front in World War II, including, you know, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, the Baltic states, all that, they averaged 19,000 dead every day for nearly four years. I mean... They were, of course, not every. Not, it was nineteen thousand that died every day, but an average, uh, which comes out to about twenty-seven million. And uh, most Americans just don't know anything about it. And the more I read, the more fascinating I got. And uh, and I, I read about the about the women that were in the Red Army. There's been a few comic books done about that. I know. Uh, I think Dynamite, the publisher. I'm not. Don't know much about them. I've seen their stuff. They've done this thing about the um, the uh, night witches, which were uh, Russian girls who were pilots. Okay. In fact, I got to meet one of them, uh, the, the, the lady. And gosh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Those names, those names are hard to remember, yeah. much less pronounce. But um, I met this lady who was a hero of the Soviet Union winner, and uh, she was one of those uh, Russian pilots. I met her in Kiev in uh, 2005 on Victory Day. And uh, so there's there's a million stories there, but I began to develop this, and I thought, well, I'm going to have this girl. I'm going to name Katusha, which is like means little Catherine or Kathy. So it's like a most girls that are, have that name are called that when they're children, and when they grow up, they call them by their adult name. Uh-huh. Okay, Katarina would be her case. Gotcha. This it's about another this. Um, uh, it's a girl that begins her, um, well, I'll tell you, I, I met a number of people over there. I, I met two different women, one from Odessa and one from Kiev, who um, graduated from the 10th grade of school. Back then, of course, the, the Soviet system was, uh, you know, the controlled off of Moscow. Yeah. And all the grades were, they had 10, they had 10 grades and. Through, you, know, you finished tenth grade, you were through high school, like we had eleven grades in the mid fifties here in the United States, and added the twelfth. But um, I met two different women who had graduated from their tenth grade on the evening of Saturday, June twenty first, nineteen forty one, and the next day the Germans invaded. And I couldn't think of a better beginning to any story than that. 
and uh, I, I just um, I, I, I have read so many books and I have talked to veterans. I've I have friends over here. I have a friend that lives near here. This lady, she's about seventy, I guess. She'd probably kick me for that saying that. <laughs> she's a very. She looks like Faye Dunaway, a very gorgeous woman. Oh, really? She's been married to an American for fifty years. She's a. Um, she was not uh, born in, in Ukraine. She was born in Austria right after the war. Her parents were on run from the Russians because they were Western Ukrainians and they were very um, much anti-communist. Uh-huh. And uh, she's she has put me in touch with scholars and experts and, and stuff like that about this stuff. And uh, uh, a lot of people have. I've had a, a, an incredible amount of help on doing research on these. It's going to be three books. Mm-hmm. Two are finished. I hope to finish the third book this year. I'm trying to get through this Battle of the Bulge book uh-huh. and jump on that. So I hope to have the whole thing finished so I can get out of my system. <laughs> you know? But uh, it's been a, it has been a journey. It really has. I've never... It's the best work I've ever done. It's the best writing I've ever yeah. done. I, I, I'm, um, I'm about, maybe, I'm on about page one... 40 or so of the first book mm. and um i've really really been enjoying it i have i have both of them uh and, mm-hmm. and i've been you know, i've been reading a little bit every night and, and what i've what i've been enjoying is i don't um just like a lot of people in this country i don't have a lot of knowledge of the the russian front in the in the second mm-hmm. world war I, I know kind of like the highlights like you said you know yeah stalingrad stalingrad and then kind of the what ended up being an extremely quick push west once um you know once the the red army got its got its footing yeah and um and beyond that um most of my experience has been through and a lot, i think a, you know i was i was thinking about this earlier today and we've had a lot of well documented you know stories and books and films about you know our countries particular right. you know uh the pacific and uh, d-day for instance and for you know for obvious reasons you know sure. uh, but but this th- what's really interesting is how you weave this very um at least at this point this personal story of survival of this girl and her family in with the specific historical like kind of there's almost like historical checkpoints and, and context along the right. way so we see a lot of what's happening and i've noticed um uh, one of my questions was, you know, like how um, it was how, how you how you go about maintaining all of the making sure everything is not his, is historically accurate, not just um, factually, but like the the look and the feel of of certain events. And it, it sounds like that's know. been that's been very important to me. I, I, I've I've made two. Well, I've been I've been to over there in the Ukraine about five times. Mm-hmm. But the last two trips in 2005 and then 2012 were specifically for Kadusha. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just wanted to make it. You know, everybody that's that's from over there that's read it says this is this is right. This is it. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, it's a beautiful country. It really. Um, I spent uh, a couple of weeks in Kiev and environments and in, in, in environs in 2005. Uh-huh. And that was just kind of, I already kind of had a basic outline then, but I came home and wrote a whole script in no time at all after I made that trip. But I went back, and of course the first book is about, you know, the 
basically about the first year of the war. And the, the next book is not is a kind of away from home because uh, she's in Russia at that time, has about Stalingrad and Kursk and her, and her first, her you know, tank uh, driving training and all that. And uh, so I, I didn't... I didn't need any visuals on that because there's just so much available. Yeah. But um, the last book, which carries her back to Kiev, uh-huh. and from there, there, her unit goes all the way to Berlin. Uh-huh. And I, I had written the outline basically of that. And I, after I went back in 2011, spent a month in western Ukraine, through, oh, I guess I, I hired a guy who was a translator and a driver, great guy named Victor Unicek. And he, um, he, 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 the people that live over there know their history. They know what happened here. They know what happened there, and they're more than happy to uh, uh, to share it. And um, I really was digging that trip because one thing, as I say, you know, we see an American war movie. It's the good guys, the Americans, and the British against the bad guys, the Germans. Yeah. But over there, there were no good guys. Uh, I, I truly believe. That the Red Army and the and the and the, the um, communist government behind it was as as ruthless as the Germans. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I had it's kind of you know you know about the the Holocaust and the concentration camps yeah. and all that, but I don't think that anybody in this world was meaner than the. Uh, uh, Russian NKVD, which was the forerunner of the KGB. Yeah, the, the, um, the I, heard, I heard stories. Uh, oh, man. Um, in, in Western Ukraine, earlier in the war, it, before World War II, it was part of uh, uh, Poland and um, Austria and Romania. Mm-hmm. And um, there were people there who were trying to... Um, Develop a Ukrainian nation and getting their freedom, and they were doing it in a completely different way. You know, and they were aware of what the communists had done in and the Soviet Ukraine, which had starved millions during the early thirties in the uh, the um, um, collectivization of the farms. Uh-huh. And um, so I wanted her to go when she goes in. It. She's. I have her saying one time late in the book, in the third book, she says. Did I fight against evil? And she said, yes, I most assuredly did. But did I fight for evil? And she says, I'm afraid I did that too. Mm-hmm. And there's many times where, you know, she's she's there and she's stuck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she has to, they have to win the war before she can go home. Yeah. So that that has to be the, the first thing on her agenda. But the, um, I, I went to uh, a number of places in western Ukraine that, well, Lviv, which is the, the biggest city, they say the Kiev is the brains, but Lviv is the heart of Ukraine. And that's where the real Ukrainian nationalists are, the ones that they don't like the Russians, <laughs> they don't want anything to do with them, and, uh, and they have good reason. Um, I went to a, a town called... Uh, Ivano Frankish, which is in, uh, named after a Ukrainian writer, and uh, met a young historian there, and uh, he carried us all for two days. We went and, and talked to. Well, I've been I talked to many Red Army veterans that lived in that area, but also veterans of the Ukrainian Insurgent Army that fought the Germans and the Russians at the same time, and were finally overcome in the in the fifties. Mm-hmm. But many of them. 
you know, left Ukraine, went to Canada, went to the United States, went to England, and continued a campaign for um, Ukrainian independence. But um, he uh, carried us around to different places and all that, and, and finally he um, we got back to the town and we're getting ready to call it a night. He said, looked at me, and says, "Well, do you want to see him?" And I said, "Well, I guess I should." And he carried me to a warehouse there, unlocked the door, turned on the lights, and there on tables were about 80 old, muddy, molding skeletons that had been dug up, victims of the Russians. Mm. They're still digging up graves over there. Stalin graves, Khrushchev graves, who knows whose graves. They, they'll dig up one, they say, well, is this a victim of the Germans or is this a victim of the Russians? And they're and they're still digging them up, and some of these people, the some they found, were uh, were like church people, uh, Ukrainian Catholics who had been executed in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an uh, it's a grim story, but fascinating. And as I say, I, I met people. I met this old lady who was like um, 88. Golly Moses, mm-hmm. she had white whiskers. <laughs> And hands that looked like they were made out of stone. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a, a, just a farm lady. Yeah. And uh, she had lived through the Stalin's terror famine of the 1930s. She had lived through the German occupation. Mm-hmm. and But still, she was just a sweet old lady that was just as accommodating and as friendly and uh, as anybody you'd meet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I met people that... Uh, Spent 30 years in the gulag system because they were fighting the communists. As I say, over there, you know, and and a lot of people accuse the people in the West of being called them them fascists, they call them Nazis. Mm. But they were just fighting the communists. And they, it it was not as clear when you were in the middle of it who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. And they were all bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's just a fascinating story. And that's why, before I do this last book, I went over there, particularly for this this purpose. I wanted to, uh, you know, be sure I got everything right. And uh, um, I don't want to, at one point in time, it's going to be a little bit longer than those two. Yeah. But I don't want to, I don't want to just keep working on it. You know, I want to bring it to an end. I got you. I really do. Yeah. But uh, it's the best thing I've ever done, I think. That's really, uh, I've, I've really been enjoying it. Um, Going back a little bit to the Nam, sure. Um, you're talking about how grim and 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 some of the some of the horrific things that you know you're illustrating in in um, in Katusha. Um, I've I've read up until about um, well I've you know I've released episodes covering up until about issue twenty or so, but I've got it recorded already up until about issue twenty six, and there's some of the, the some of the stuff you you illustrated where there. Uh, they're in the middle of the Tet Offensive, for instance. Yeah. Um, did you, you know, what what um, what were you usually using for reference? Because I know that you uh, you seem to be really going to ma- going for making it uh, realistic, and you also had to deal with the the Comics Code Authority as well. Oh yeah. Well. So well, of course, you, you know, of course, not, uh, um, you know, um, um, oh gosh, Doug uh, Doug Murray, Doug Murray was, yeah. was the writer. Yep. And. Uh, and he was a Vietnam vet, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and so 
uh, I, I just had really the, just the, 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 the you know the visuals. Mm-hmm. But um, I have a, a number of friends that were in um, Vietnam, and uh, Joe Donald is one of my closest friends. He was uh, in the 173rd Airborne. He and he saw a lot of combat. He um, when I first met him, he, he was a he he was a bundle of nerves. Let me uh-huh. tell you, you know. Uh, Car backfired. He would just about jump over a, a car, you know. Oh. And uh, he, um, he he he's a South Georgia redneck, basically. But let me tell you, he had the ability to describe things that you would not believe. I mean, you could just about smell it and taste it and hear it when he was telling you about it. And um, there were several incidents he told me. In fact, we got him on the phone. With uh, Doug and the editor, and later on with uh, Chuck Dixon, when he was right some. Uh-huh. And um, uh, he, they, some of the stories that we did were directly what he had told. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some. There was one story. And in fact, if you probably, I don't know if you got to it yet. About the guy, they were pulling. They were in the helicopter. They were pulling up a, a wounded man on a stretcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got, get, got fire, and he was hit, uh, stuck in the trees, and they had to cut him loose. Do you, have you got to that one yet? I think I've read it. I haven't covered yeah. it yet, though. Well, that's a true story. Oh, really? it, it, they did it pretty much just the way Joe told it. Oh, wow. They had to cut him loose. And um, it, it uh, oh, and Joe, um, well, you know, you, you're right, it was a comic code. And we, yeah. it, it, we were several times... Um, we were also on drug use and stuff like that. They were um, real tight on us. Yeah. And, and sometimes it was a little silly, I thought, but hey, what the heck? Just your job to do it that way. Yeah. And uh, But we really were, um, you know, uh, uh, real careful what we did. Um, well, it's kind of like in, in, in Katusha. I don't want to get. I don't want to get like a, a horror movie. Yeah, I've noticed it's not very even. It, it, it doesn't get very gory. You know, where it, it, it has to, it does, but it doesn't seem to be very. Yeah, there are times you know we just about have, but you don't want to go so out, out on the. I don't know. It just like um, I don't know. Uh, some of the the B horror movies are just too much for me, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessary. I, I really don't. Um, you ever heard of Vasily Grossman? Uh, he was a, a Russian war correspondent during World War II with the Red Army. And um, if you read his notes, golly Moses, he will walk up to something and write about it. <laughs> you think, I wish he didn't. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just some, but he, uh, but he, and he says he he wasn't. A lot of this stuff was never published. They did a book of his uh, called Rider at War several years ago. That was they had his notebooks. I think they were missing one of them in one period there. Uh-huh. But uh, um, Anthony Beaver, real good British uh, military writer, uh, uh, had, he worked on the translation and the uh, the notes and all, and it was uh, incredible. But um, um, it, you know, it, I don't. It, all that stuff really happened and, you know, really existed. Yeah. But, gosh, I don't know how you would show some of it. As I say, I was told some of, some of the things that the NKVD did in in Western Ukraine, and I want somehow to tell it, but I don't know how to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's just so bad. But in the NOM, I mean, uh, I, I don't think you have to show uh, 
you know, uh, a bloody limb laying there on the ground or something. You know, at least have it the foot towards you or something like that. I mean, um, yeah, I, I noticed like in one issue, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, the, the guys came across. Uh, it was like a mass grave, and the way you had drawn it was, you're looking up at them. Mm-hmm. From, looking from at, yeah. yeah, from the bodies instead of looking down, and and it was things like that that I notice um, as a way to it seemed to get across the gravity of everything without being yeah sort of like you're right gross or gory for for the sake of being gory. Mm-hmm. Um, did uh, when you were I think you were for about three different writers over the course of... Yeah, um, first Doug Murray, and then mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Dixon, mm-hmm. and then um, Don Lomax, who yeah. had uh, written and illustrated uh, um, Vietnam Journal for Apple. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he... Let me tell you something. He's an incredible writer. I mean, uh, I don't know what he's doing now. You know, unfortunately, his art is well, not that great, and but his storytelling... And his stories are incredible. In fact, I remember Don Daly saying, he was the editor at that time, he says, you know, he's just like a natural writer. And uh, he would have still been turning out that stuff. If the book was still in print, he would still be cranking it out a year ahead of time. I mean, um, he was just a real good writer. And I'm hoping he's been able to find, you know, the right, um, you know, balance in, in doing something. I don't know. But um, of course, Chuck Dixon's great. Yeah. You know, Chuck writes everything. I, yeah, I, I grew up reading his Batman work, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And, He's just uh, a real good writer. Yeah, and when I came across, um, when I started to get into his issues, I was actually it blew me away that he had written that he had written the book because I had no idea, and I had for years been reading him on Robin and Batman and and, and mm-hmm. those guys. Was it? Was there? A, were you working off full scripts with them, or was there a different process with each? Uh, of them? Mostly, yeah. It was mostly full scripts. I think a few times they had just the, you know, the outline or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we had we had a lot of um, leeway. Of course, I you know, I, I would have a suggestion about something, uh-huh. and we'd do it a little bit different. And I said, well, what do we do this about it? You know, okay. And they were all in agreement. We all worked together pretty closely on that. Well, there was one issue that I think Doug Murray wrote this issue. Yeah, where, where um, there was a guy who steps on a landmine and where it clicks, and then he, you know, the pressure plate's going to blow up, but he steps off of it. Yeah. And they're trying to get it off. And and I, I know one thing that one scene I always hated in war movies is guys poking around with the bayonet and the in the minefield. Mm-hmm. I just you know I don't know. It just wasn't very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I suggested I said, listen, what about this? There's a sniper out there. He's not going to shoot the guy on the mine, but he's going to shoot everybody that's going to try to stop him. Huh. And they all went, yeah, that's an idea, you know? And it really made the story pop, you know? So so what the heck, you know? So, But we had, we had a little leeway. Now, there was one story that we did, and I think Chuck Dixon wrote that. This was so, was so funny. It was called, oh, gosh. What was it called? And, uh, gosh, it's going to, I'll have to look it up to see. Okay. But um, uh, um, Chuck Dixon had wrote it. He was talking to uh, um, 
talking to the uh, Don Daly, the editor, on the phone. And he says, and he gave him a couple of story ideas. And uh, Don says, yeah, that's a good story. And Chuck said, which one? He says, all of them. <laughs> and he did this story about, um, I don't know what it was called, The Weight. Mm-hmm. It was The Weight. And it was these guys sitting around in a bar in Vietnam, and they're telling stories. And they tell three different stories. And it just, um, it made just a powerful story. It was really good. Um, but uh, you, you can recognize the cover because the cover was mostly black. It was a skinny panel in the middle with just a pair um, of eyes. I know the issue, yeah. And uh, it was funny. <laughs> the reason they did that is Don was bad about waiting too late and getting the covers in. Uh-huh. And it was almost a late last minute, and he just took a panel from the inside of the book and used it for the cover. Oh, really? Uh-huh, and uh, that, that was funny. But uh, that was a that was a real good one. And, you know, I, right off the top of my head, I can't quite remember. I can remember what one of the stories was, but I'd have to go back and see what the three stories were now. But together like that, it was very, really powerful. But, uh, yeah. And I've read I've read the series all the way through once, and then I've you know now I'm kind of in the course of doing this podcast going right. back, and, and um, I know toward the in maybe the last toward the last ten to twenty issues, you were going back and looking at uh, some of the characters from earlier in the series after they'd gone home. Yeah, mm-hmm. would um, would Don? I mean, would Don or you guys have taken that? Even further, did you? I mean, were before the book got canceled, uh, were there any plans on the table for some of some other stories that you guys never got the chance? Well, to I tell you, there was one character. In fact, they used, you know, of course, the Punisher. They had him do several. Yeah, yeah. You know, and which I didn't work on any of those. But um, there was a character named um, Mike Phillips. I think his name was. They called him Ice Man. Yes. You remember that character? Yeah, in fact, I'm in the middle of the stories. I'm in the middle of he's still uh, he's still a big part of those stories. Well, he, um, he I understand they used him in the Punisher later on. Really? And uh, that character, uh, I had an idea for a story that when he came home and he would be kind of become a, a, a sort of like a mercenary or something, you know, hired gun or whatever. And um, it was funny how we developed that character because there, there was an um, there was an, an issue which we introduced three new characters that came in, and he was one of them. And this great big black guy, and I can't they call what they call him. Oh, I can't remember his name. He was a, the uh, yeah. M60 gunner. But, oh, um, pig. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, and, and it was them two and another one. I can't remember for sure. I, yeah, boy, I haven't read them in a long time. Yeah, I think there was um, was it Aesop the yeah the Clark the guy who kept telling uh, stories and there were there's a, I, you know I can't remember. I, yeah. I, I just have to okay go back and look. I don't want to commit myself. <laughs> but uh, he uh, it was funny about him. Um, those figures, those characters came in. And I, and we, I didn't really know from what he'd written yet that, but he was a guy that was returning to Vietnam, mm-hmm. or was staying, staying or something. I'm not sure. But he, he was obviously a guy that was a, well, you know, felt at home there, so to speak. And there, are, there were people that did. 
And I remember calling my friend Joe Donald, I mentioned that was with the 173rd Airborne. Mm-hmm. I said, I got this character, I kind of want to do something special with him. Of course, as I say, and, and it would, they would, the writer would respond a lot of times with what I did on some of that. And I remember asking uh, Joe, I said, what do I do with this guy? He's, he's like a guy that's still there, and uh, he's, a, he's a veteran. He's, you know, uh, what would I do with him? And, and Joe gets that thinking, well, what did some of these people do? And uh, he says some of them would, like, um, kind of tailor their, uh, their, their fatigues and, uh, you know, make them fit better or, Make him look a little bit snazzy or something. I, you know, uh, they get a maybe a jungle boots, but kind of a better pay or a better manufacturer or something, and mm-hmm. different things. And then Joe said, "said Give him a shotgun," <laughs> and uh, and that's what we did. We gave him a shotgun, and from then on, he had a shotgun with a folding stock. Okay. Yeah, I, know that, I noticed that in one of the uh, one of the episodes. I think yeah. in one, in fact, another character calls him out on it. And yeah. tells him it's illegal or something, yeah. if I recall correctly. Well, it, well, it's funny that you mentioned it being illegal. In some units, they allowed it. Some they did. When Joe's outfit, they did allow it until one day they came back. These guys came back from patrol, and a guy threw his shotgun down on his bunk, and it went off and killed a guy in a tent oh, in a hooch right, right next to him. Oh, wow. And uh, that's they, they wouldn't let him carry him anymore after that. Yeah. But um, um, Joe's outfit, the 173rd, they um, they went out on these, you know, short-range patrols and stuff like that a whole lot, mm-hmm. and also would go into long ones into the into Cambodia and stuff like that. And uh, um, he he told some great. In fact, the my Batron character was kind of uh, inspired by that. Um, uh, Joe said sometimes they'd be out on a patrol in Cambodia along the border there, and they would send in a helicopter to pick them up. And they would uh, they'd pick them up, and there'd be another helicopter with them with no markings on them. And they'd divide these guys amongst these two helicopters, just a handful of guys there. And they said, we're going to go pick up some other people. I want you all to come as cover, so to speak, you know. Just extra firepower if we need it. And he said, the thing is, when they get there, don't talk to them. He said, just ignore them. And they would go, um, they would go uh, pick up these guys, and they would be several different nationalities. They would be like uh, Nung Chinese and Montyards and uh-huh. stuff like that. And some of them were either also former French foreign legionnaires from when the France, French were there. Yeah. And uh, that's where I got the idea of the Batron character. Uh huh. And um, so, which which I'd like to do more with one of these days, but but we'll see. Bringing it back to Katusha, um, as you're as you're developing the third book, um, are you are you planning any more trips back over to the Ukraine to do some? I mean, uh, I know right now it's a little bit. Uh, it's probably it's a little bit. Uh, Uneasy over there, but are you? Well, I, I tell you, I, I really don't need to mm-hmm. for this, but I would love to go back anyhow because I really feel a connection. Although I've never, I have no relatives from over there. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, uh, I just fell in love with the country, and uh, I know I have a, I know I have a handful of friends over there I keep in touch with. Yeah. In fact, I know one guy that I've never met before, but he's a, uh, he found out about Katusha, Katusha and, and contacted my agent. And wanted to translate it into either Russian or Ukrainian, and um, my uh, agent just said, "Well, listen, you know, 
we, we haven't, you know, you know, we can't pay you for anything like that now. But if you want to, go ahead and, like, you know, just translate the first chapter. But this guy, we didn't know where he was at at the time because he was getting through email. But he oh. lives in Sevastopol in the Crimea. Oh, okay. And we have, uh, we've been in touch with him, you know, and he's been telling us kind of the stuff that's been going on. And it's pretty creepy. It really is. He's uh he says the uh, it's very heavy handed uh the mm-hmm. the um a lot of propaganda he says uh you know they they're they're making it clear that things aren't just better since the Russians have taken over they things are perfect <laughs> <laughs> that's the way they put it they are perfect in other words, don't complain you know yeah. and um I got an email from him this afternoon. I was going to send him, I'm sending him some copies, some signed copies of Kutcher. And um, the last of his letter, he says, things are getting kind of weird. He says, I'm a little nervous. Uh And so I I don't, you know, I don't know. The other people I know are mostly in the western part, but let me tell you something. Putin wants it all. I, I, without getting to political, I kind of, in in following it, as it's appeared in the news, I kind of figured that. I know that sounds cynical. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. It makes sense, or at least... Yeah, they, they have a funny attitude towards Ukraine. It's mm-hmm. like they consider them their little brothers, but they don't treat their little brothers very good. Yeah. They never have. Um, I'm going to say this, and this is kind of this is kind of funny. I, I, I'm, I'm down here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And of course, things are a lot different these days, but I always kind of figured at one point in time in our history... Ukrainians are to Russians as Southerners are to Yankees. <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but let me tell you, that's the way they they kind of feel about it. Okay, they're 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 like they're they're all Slavic and all that, but um, and they're, they're they um they have an attitude. The Russians have an attitude towards Ukrainians is um uh you you'd be better off if. Uh, with us, and if you don't like that, this is too bad. You know, I mean, uh, um, it's just kind of a, it's a bad situation. Yeah. And um, the, 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 they have a joke over there, too. A Russian and a Ukrainian are walking down the street, and the $100 bill blows up, and they pick it up together. And the Russian says, well, um, let's divide this like brothers. And the Ukrainian says, no, let's divide it 50-50. <laughs> Oh, they have a great sense of humor over there. I tell you, they really do. Yeah. And uh, and it's funny the people that a lot of the the, Eng, the Russian speakers in Ukraine that live there, and you know, in, in Kiev it's about half and half. You, mm-hmm. But they all understand each other. And the Russian speakers there love the Ukrainians because they have such funny expressions. Um, you know, it's just it's a. Uh, it's just as far the, you go the further east you go is there um the the people that uh, are Russians and don't like the Ukrainians and uh think they're they're you know, think they're hillbillies. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's uh it's kinda of funny. Yeah. But uh but I don't know. You know, hey yeah. we'll see. Yeah. And we'll tell. So, um by your cat you had now you said you have a um you have a book on the Battle of the Bulge coming out, and then you'll be putting out the third 
book. Yeah, okay. I, I want to. I'd like to. I'd like to finish. Actually, I'm a little bit over okay. um, deadline on the bulge book. It was going to be April first, but mm-hmm. I, I'm real reliable, and my publisher says we don't worry about month, weeks. Mm-hmm. We should worry about months. So it was going to be April first. It's probably going to be like May first when okay. I get finished with it. And I'm, there's always a little things to do. Even after that, they'll call me up and they say, "Hey, could you make this little change or whatever?" You know. Mm-hmm. And but uh, I'm. Um, I'm working hard to get this dang thing finished. And I enjoyed it because I went to I went to the Ardan in Belgium oh, really? back in uh, September, or October actually, to uh, research it. I, I've been reading about the Battle of Bulge all my life, but I wanted to go over there. I'm glad I did because it it gave me a lot better understanding of the the battle. Mm-hmm. And um, it is a uh, it is it's, it is very complex because it's very rough ground. The the northeastern part. Where kind of where it started, where the Sixth Panzer Army was and all that, it's like driving through the Smoky Mountains. It's really, really? and um, gosh, you know, it was sometimes hard to find places because you know, they talk about a uh, you know the Lojam Gap or something like that, uh-huh. and it's it's nothing it's nothing real obvious. It's just something maybe as simple as a single road through some mountains, huh. and it's really hard to find some of these things. And Elsinboro Ridge, which was just basically a low line of hills, I'm, I'm standing there going, "Well, which hills?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's just really, uh, uh, it was, it, it's really, um, I can imagine what a confusion battle it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beyond those two, uh, do you have anything else that you're? Do you know what? Do you know what you're doing? Where you'll be going next? What you'll be? Uh, what you'll be looking into? No, uh, as I say, I've, I've told my, my editor that I'm going to work on Katusha for the rest of the year, and he understands that, and I think he wants me to start something just about the first of next year. I also have a book about the Red Baron coming out. Okay. I think it comes out in June, I believe. And, uh, you know, we really haven't nailed anything down. We, we talked about several things. Uh, there's a lot of things I'd like to do. As far as the Civil War would do, I'd like to do one about Vicksburg. Okay. Um, and it, I'd like to do one about America and World War One too, because that's something that's very little about it. It is. I I, um, I, I teach high school English, and uh, oh, uh-huh. and my my students read all quiet on the Western Front, and uh, oh yeah, and I think that's the most education I've gotten about World War One. Mm-hmm. Besides a class in politics, I took on it. Actually, I took a class on World War Two and politics. Mm-hmm. In college, so we started with the First World War because you really can't do the Second World War without the first. Oh yeah, I, I think well, it's like you can't do the Russian yeah. front unless you know about the Russian Revolution. Yeah, exactly, and and I think I think you're right. You can't. There's there's just a, not a lot that we we know a lot, but we don't. You know, there's not as much focus on it for various reasons. But that would that would sound really really interesting to read too. I'd like to do that. I really would, but. Uh, and of course, there's a number of things about World War II. I haven't done anything. Of course, I've done the you know, Days of Darkness years ago, but I'd like mm-hmm. to do something more about the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do the Italian campaign. I've been to Italy in 1980 and went to a lot of the battlefields mm-hmm. then, and uh, I would like to do that. Um, okay. Hey, listen, so many wars, so little time. I know. <laughs> I'm always telling people that. So, um, about, uh, World War One. Have you seen the movie? Um, Behind the Lines? No, I haven't. 
You need to check that out. I will. I've, I've heard it's been also been released under the title of the book. It was called Reanimation, which to me, neither one of them is a good title. Okay. It's about an, uh, a British Army um, mental home in mm-hmm. Scotland during the war. And uh, Jonathan Price is a psychiatrist, and two of his patients are uh, uh, Siegfried Sassoon and uh, Winfred Owen, who were famous poets. I've read quite a bit of Wilfred Owen's poetry. Yeah, it's yeah. Excellent. And, and uh, there, the um, the scene in there when the, the those two poets meet uh-huh. uh, is just incredible. I mean, it's just uh, um, I can't. I just don't know how to describe it. But uh, and they're they're discussing their poetry, and Wilfred Owen says he doesn't write anything about the war. He doesn't want to do that. And then he starts telling an incident. And it's like a poem. <laughs> it's like, and the uh, secret assassin is listening to this. He says, you need to be writing about the war. <laughs> you know? It's just an incredible scene. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because I've, yeah, I've used quite a bit of Wilfred Owen's poetry because um, it, it's very, very vivid. And then that's what oh, I yeah. about it. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll provide on the web, on the blog that I run along with the podcast. I'll, I'll give links to where people can get copies of uh, oh, great. Katusha. Um, anything else you uh, you want to point out or tell them where people can can find you or or, or any of the? Oh, uh, you know, as I say, I, I have a I'm on Facebook, but I have a I have an uh, 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 art of Wayne Vane. Uh, a friend of mine has put together. I am terrible with Facebook. I don't know what to do. You know. That technical stuff doesn't get me. But uh, I have a, a thing called uh, Art of Wayne Vincent on Facebook. And also, my agent has a Katusha Wayne Vincent Facebook okay. page. So uh, I'll, I'll make sure that I give links to you can just find just about anything you want, I would think. Especially on the one, you know, or uh, Grand Design uh, Grand Design Communications mm-hmm. is the um, uh, my agent's uh um, uh, site on the internet, so that too. Okay, yeah, that that's the website he gave me when I got and okay. to Good. talk to you. So, well, well, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate this. This was yeah. this was a lot of fun, and uh, enjoyed it. And I'd like to thank Mr. Van Zant for taking the time to talk to me. If you're interested in checking out Katusha, I will provide a link in the show notes, uh, and I honestly do recommend it. I've finished all of book one and. Uh, It's really, really good stuff. I can't wait to read book two. As for me, I will be back in two weeks where I'll get back into covering the comics. So until then, take care and thanks for listening. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.
Let's do